Well, good evening. Such a wonderful time for us to get together, isn't it? Uh, it is wonderful when churches get together and it, uh, is a, it just displays the unity of Christ as he calls sinners to himself. It's amazing. I just met a gentleman over here and we have common friends really far from here, huh? About a 10-hour drive? <laughs> yeah, 700 miles. Um, and so we have friends in common and it's just because we know each other because of Christ. Isn't it amazing? And oftentimes, uh, sometimes we get so myopic in our view of what Christianity is with our churches alone. We always have to be linking arms with like-minded individuals. And you know what? When I met Roman and Nancy, they actually sought us out. And I have to tell you, they were the first to really welcome us to North County. Um, I will never forget that, Roman. Your kindness to us. Uh, when there was already hostility, but your kindness to us. Uh, I will never forget that. Thank you so much, brother. Um, um, hopefully, by God's grace, we'll be, be able to do more things like this together to encourage us, uh, encourage one another, to spur one another on in the faith. Um, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be together Lord, even as we celebrate Thanksgiving, it is a time for us to stop and reflect about your goodness and your kindness to us. Thank you so much that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that we can have hope for tomorrow. Thank you that you are our strength in time of need. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your word. Help me to preach. Bless this time. Bless the fellowship. You've already blessed the singing. How wonderful it is to sing together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. Would you turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4? As I was looking at this text, I wanted to find a good Thanksgiving text. But as I looked at it, it's, I started to realize it was more uh, geared towards the steadiness of our heart in the storm. And so I entitled this sermon, Steady Heart in the Storm. I have a dear friend, dear friends Mike and Bessie David. They... Um, Mike was the one who invited me to church, and as I came to youth group, I came to Christ. God saved me through that friendship. Uh, they were getting ready, uh, I would say probably about nine years ago, to get ready to help with a church plant in, um, on Oahu. They were very fruitful. They had many folks come to Christ through their ministries. They discipled people. Uh, Bessie ran into some health problems. She was miraculously pregnant after having survived ovarian cancer. They awaited their second daughter's birth. They were to board a plane with all their belongings to make disciples on Oahu. One night, Bessie had to be rushed to the hospital way ahead of schedule. Leili was born at, 24 week, at the 24-week mark. 
and weighed in at just one pound and eight ounces. She struggled to survive in the Niku. I remember visiting them as they wept. Leili'i passed into glory three weeks later. Two weeks after that, with tears in their eyes, we waved goodbye to them as they walked past the TSA to continue to make disciples in Oahu. They're dear friends. As a memorial posting for Leili'i, Bessie wrote, Leili'i is a confirmation of God's goodness and power. Her life displayed God's provision and her death displays His mercy and grace. No parent should ever have to bury their own child, but we are reminded that God Himself gave His only Son to die on the cross. While, and then Mike writes, while Bessie was there at Leili'i's side, she passed. Christ was abandoned and alone at the cross. However, through Christ's death, we have assurance and hope that we will see Leili'i again. She is with our Savior and Creator, Christ Jesus. She no longer experiences pain or sickness, but, must, but most importantly, she will never have to experience the bitterness of this world. Though our sorrow is great, God's comfort is greater. Now, listen to this. We praise God for blessing us with her. We praise God for giving us three and a half weeks to enjoy her, to be able to hold her, and to be able to say goodbye to her. Where does that come from? Where does the strength and the comfort come from? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you, it is a supernatural peace that is placed upon the Christian where, that he or she can undergo the severest of trial with soundness of mind. What accounts for such rest and tranquility? In Philippians chapter 4, it reads, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds, and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, man will often lose hope when faced with difficult trials as he forgets there is a good and sovereign God who loves him. Christ provides a steady mind in the midst of trials as you commune with him. So God gave you this passage this evening to give you a steady heart when the storms of life rage. God gave you a, this passage this evening to give you a steady heart when the storms of life rage. Now, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Roman about what's going on in your lives. But my prayer is that God will encourage you through this text. Now, there are three commitments you must resolve to have in your life daily. And I say, in your life, moment by moment, you've got to have it. If you want a steady heart when the storms of life rage. First, it says, be anxious for nothing. My first point is, watch your heart diligently. Watch your heart diligently. The Bible says to be anxious for nothing. The word therefore anxious 
here in it has a bad sense in the in this bad sense it means to be overly concerned about to be worried about to have an anxious concern based on an apprehension about possible danger or misfortune another dictionary describes it as to be cumbered with cares now you can be anxious for many things the Bible talks about many things that you could be anxious for. You could be worried about. You could be paralyzed. It could be rooted in sin. In Psalm 38, 18, it says, For I confess my iniquity, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. You could sin and you could worry about it. Maybe the repercussions and you have not confessed. And David says that he felt like the vital his life vitality is being squashed down because he would not confess and repent of his sin. You could be anxious for a lack of something. It could be a lack of money. It could be a lack of shelter. Matthew 6 says, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You can be anxious because of trials. It's not because of sin. It could be a physical ailment. And sometimes it's just simply because you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and your heart is troubled. And perhaps it's relationships that are broken. Perhaps it's your parents who are not saved and they're hurtling towards the end. Perhaps it's your children who are not saved. Perhaps it's your relatives or your family and you're burdened for them. The Bible says to be anxious for nothing. And here it says for nothing. It, it can be rooted in many places, but what the text is saying and, and the phrase is saying is, do not let anything bind you up with worry or anxiety. Now, this is not some kind of person who doesn't understand what danger is or anything like that, but it is not to live as though God has lost control. As though God has forgotten you. Or as if God doesn't know what He's doing. Don't let it dominate you, lest your worry become God. We know the definition of an idol is anything that takes the place of God. Worry, brothers and sisters, worry and anxiety can become an idol. your familial relationships, your jobs, your desire for self-accomplishment, your finances. I often talk to students as they worry. Sometimes they forget their God and they worship the God of midterms or even the God of finals. There's no balance of studying and trusting. God, can I say this? God wants nothing in this world to paralyze you. You are to be fruitful. You are to be walking along, serving Him. He desires that in your life, 
No situation would rob you indefinitely of the love and of the peace that he gives. And we ought to fight for it, brother and sister. We have to fight for it. I often quote this Robert Mueller, who was a, uh, a missionary and he was a father of orphans in Bristol, England. He, he would often say that his first order of duty every morning was to be happy in Jesus. Isn't that just the, the essence of being a Christian? Your sins are forgiven and you are rejoicing and delighting in Jesus Christ. And like that old chorus we used to sing, the things of earth what grow what? Strangely, strangely dim. Are you anxious this evening? Well, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. And so I want to know how to apply this. Oh, okay, just, does this mean, oh, I, I ran over a nail and now uh, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to smile and laugh. I just tripped and fell in mud. Ha, 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 ha. That's wonderful. I'm not going to be anxious for anything. No, that's not what it's talking about. And that's weird. Okay. <laughs> but anxiety, brothers and sisters, anxiety is a trigger. Okay. Now, I'm not talking about politics. Forget all of that, okay? Anxiety is a trigger for you. And let me explain. Whenever you feel like it's a bit overwhelming, when life is a bit hard, anytime there is too much stress for you, whenever there is an inkling of doubt or worry, you are to recognize it right away. Okay? You are to stop. And recognize it right away because the Bible says to be anxious. You cannot be, be anxious for nothing. The, you cannot stop. You cannot understand your anxiety if you're not diligent about watching over your heart. See, what happens is we rush out the door. We get in our cars. We go to work all the time, worried in our head without stopping, without resting in Christ. And we go frantically about our day, trying to complete the things on our list so we could mark it off and yet not living in peace. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to live at peace. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. And you must confess this right away. Now, what is the remedy? I can't just tell you to be anxious for nothing and then that's it. Let's go home. Hallelujah. Right. Brothers and sisters, we don't have the strength for that. You don't have the strength for that. Oh, just don't worry about it. The remedy comes to our next point. If you want to have a steady heart when the storms of life rage, first, Watch your heart diligently. This is God's alarm for you that it is too much. And in fact, as you grow in the Lord, your idea of what too much is gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as you start to understand that apart from Him, you could do nothing. 
And the faster you get there, God, this is too much. I can't do it. God, I can't prepare for a lesson. God, I can't, I can't prepare the music. God, I, I can't get there in time to serve. God, I, I have to do all these things and, and there's so much stress on me. The faster you get there, the faster you can be at peace with God. And so what is the remedy? This is God's alarm. Whenever you feel that anxiety, He wants you to know His shoulders are big enough to carry you. The remedy is the second point, and that is to commune with God constantly. So first, watch your heart diligently, and then second, commune with God constantly. It says here, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. There are four characteristics of this communion with God. And first, as you are communing with God, you have to, you have to be honest. Okay? The Bible says, let your requests be made known to to God. The word therefore request means it is a petition, it is a demand. It is an admission of need. I need you, God. I can't do this without you. Many of you are going to go see family and chances are there's a good percentage of folks who are not saved, right? And when you go there, I don't know about you, but I have family. As soon as I go into a, fam a family setting, they start picking on me. Oh, your kids are too goody-two-shoes. Oh, your wife does this. Oh, this. All of a sudden, they start picking on me. And I need to have that peace of God to be able to deal with him. And now I'm saying, God, help me to be a witness to my family. be made known. It's in the present tense. Um, you need to tell God, not because he doesn't know. God wants us to commune with him so that you learn about your need for him. Matthew 6, 8 says, therefore do not be like them. He's talking about those who pray unintelligently. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And sadly, sadly, brothers and sisters, and I have to confess this, sadly, we go to God last many times. We may have all these kind of problems in our life and then all of a sudden you're set, you're put at the end of yourself and then you finally say, God, why didn't I turn to you first? But as you mature, you, need, you get, to get to him faster. He wants you to admit the need so that when he fills it, he gets the glory. No praise will be given to him if you are full of self-sufficiency. Do you understand? If you think you got it. You know how some people will say, oh, I got this, I got this. If you really think you got it, right? No praise can be given to him because you're taking the sufficiency. The self-sufficient man can never bring praise to the all-sufficient Savior of whom he has no need. We are to turn to him. And give him, let our requests be made known to God. He wants to hear from his children. I don't know who said this, but here's a quote that a day without prayer glorifies the self-sufficiency and autonomy of man. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. 
when you, brother or sister, are not praying, going before the feet of Jesus, you are glorifying your own self-sufficiency and your own autonomy, thinking that you could actually accomplish what you have right in front of you with the right heart and the right motive. And God says, no, you can't. You need me every hour. We need to be there all the time. Uh, maybe I'll, I, I say this even to Roman. Has, hasn't God taught us, taught you, that I can't even prepare for a Bible study without getting on my face? I can't even prepare for a sermon without getting on my face and asking for help. And if you don't learn that, let me tell you, God teaches you constantly. Also in this communion, you are to be frequent. It says, in everything. He is ready, it is wonderful. He is ready to hear each of his children as if there was only one of them. Any and all sources of worry can be drowned in thankful communion with your God. Isn't that sweet? He doesn't, when you call God, He doesn't put you on hold. You can commune with your Father everywhere. Next it says by prayer and supplication. And what this means is to be specific. They are synonyms, meaning to request for help, to be Made, made by speaking to a deity, usually in the form of petition, vow, or wish. It means to speak directly about the prayer. Not to pray generally, but to pray specifically so that you could praise specifically when God answers. Now, to the thanksgiving part. Be grateful. And notice here, here's the text. It says here, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, being grateful for what God has done, thanksgiving has, comes with three presuppositions. And you need to have this settled in your mind and your heart. There are three presuppositions. In order for the Christian to say, give thanks, okay? First one is, God is wise. The second one is, God is sovereign. And the third one is, God is good. God is wise, God is sovereign, and God is good. We need to know that in order for us to give thanks. And let me explain, okay? God is wise. You cannot give thanks to God if in your mind you think He doesn't know what's going on. Okay? Here's, here is... Here is where the trial, here's where the rubber meets the road. When you are going through a difficult time, the doubt that comes in your heart, one of the doubts that comes into your heart is, I don't think he knows what's going on. I think he forgot me. Why is everyone being blessed except me? And then you question his wisdom. Do you know what's going on? Why is his family going through trial after trial after trial after trial? Why is it that some people in church just has, has this full well of trial all the time? And others seems like they're just cruising like it's always a surf trip, right? 
And then the doubt comes in your mind. Are you wise, God? Do you know what you're doing? Maybe he doesn't know or understand what is happening. Or secondly, we doubt his sovereignty. Maybe he knows, but God, I don't think you can do anything about it. And your doubt of his power starts to settle in. And because of that, you cannot give thanks. Do you remember, thanksgiving is a mark of a Christian. Do you remember in Romans chapter 1, it says, uh, one of the marks of an unbeliever is they do not give thanks. Roman kind of talked about folks that you, know, you see in Hollywood as they give, oh, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful, but there's no object to their thankfulness. They think it's some abstract idea by themselves. No, brothers and sisters, there is someone who is wise, who is sovereign, who is directing the course of the universe. And what looks like a mess is actually being ordered for his glory. And you are weaved into that. Or maybe you doubt God is good. He doesn't care about me. He cares about that family. They're more spiritual, not me. He doesn't care what's about what's happening. I shared this illustration before, but you ever sometimes you like you see this guy like uh, maybe in on the a sports game or something, they're having a, he's an artist, and there's flashy music, and there's uh, fireworks going on, and he's painting something, and he's painting it so, uh, so intensely, and you look at it and, it, and and you can't make heads or tails of it, and you look at it, and it looks ugly, you're thinking in your mind, it looks ugly, and he's painting so, so, so quickly and so passionately about it. And you can't tell what it is. Right? And then he goes and he turns it upside down, right? And it's a beautiful picture. Well, the one I saw was uh, is the picture of the soldiers in Iwo Jima holding a flag up, right? See, when it was upside down, I couldn't understand. Do you get it? When it's upside down, I couldn't see what the artist was making. Do you understand? When your life is upside down, you can't see what God is doing. But let me tell you, He will turn it right side up. I promise you. I promise you. God promises you. Look at Romans chapter 8. You know the text. Because you go there when you're in trial, right? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Watch, you'll see... The elements there, the same elements in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it reads, And we know that God causes all things to work together. Sovereignty. You see it? He causes all things to work together. Sovereignty. For good to those who love God. That is His goodness. He works for good. Right? To those who are called according to his purpose. That's his wisdom. Okay? His sovereignty. 
his goodness and his wisdom. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among all brethren, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Brothers and sisters, I can say that Jesus, that God the Father, is making a masterpiece as he weaves our lives together in this very history of bringing the church to maturity and bringing us to glory in him. It is a beautiful, beautiful tapestry, a beautiful canvas of his work, but sometimes we don't see it. Do you understand? We have to go beyond that with the eyes of faith and to trust him so that we can say thanks. Brothers and sisters, are you going through something right now? Maybe, just maybe, now I'm not going to say for sure because I'm not a prophet, right? Nor a son of a prophet, but perhaps that you are undergoing a trial because maybe you just haven't said thank you yet. You haven't said he's sovereign. He is good. He knows what he's doing in my life. You haven't thanked him yet. My family and I were sent by our church in Northern California. We were sent to a restricted country in Asia to help train pastors and to help a church plant there. We were there for almost four years. And there was some times it was very, very difficult. And inside of me started to grow this very worried, sometimes frustrated, even a complaining spirit inside my heart, trying to serve there. I was having a very difficult time. The elder, uh, we got on FaceTime and one of our elders back home spoke with me and he asked me, what can you be thankful for? See, I got alone with God and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried because I couldn't fix things. Do you understand that, brothers and sisters? You realize we can't fix things. I think oftentimes our frustrations and our our difficulties and our stresses are because we think we could fix everything. You can't fix everything, brothers and sisters. We are on this side of Genesis 3. There is going to be broken relationships. There is going to be sin. There is going to be disappointment. There is going to be death. There is going to be sickness. There is going to be farewells. You can't fix everything. But there is a God who could be there with you, brothers and sisters. Now, when this elder said, what can you be thankful for? And I got alone with God and I cried. And I I finally said, I finally said, thank you, God. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for what you're putting me through. It changed my whole perspective. But nothing changed. 
I had renewed strength and realization that God did not forget me, but nothing around me changed. But I changed. Do you understand? My heart changed because I wasn't looking at Christ anymore. I was looking at my situation. It's like Peter, when he starts to look at the water and he starts to sink. But when he kept his eyes on Christ, he was above water. That's what happens to us, brothers and sisters. You're okay on a Sunday, but then when Monday comes around, it starts. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. There's no hope for me. Oh, Christian, he has you exactly where he wants you. He is making your life glorify him. And the way you respond is going gonna, is gonna to reflect and magnify Christ or take away from that. As people look at your life. Now, I'm talking about all these things that you have to do to have a steady heart when the storms of life come. You have to watch your heart diligently for worry. You have to commune with God constantly. But thirdly, you must rest in Christ completely. You must rest in Christ completely. And here's the sweetness, brothers and sisters. If you think you could just kind of do this on your own and you have a bunch of principles and if I could just do this checklist of principles, I'll be okay, you will be rudely awakened. It says, oh, I love this verse. Look at this verse back in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The phrase there, peace of God. One commentator says, it is the inward tranquility of soul granted by God, trusting in his flawless wisdom and infinite power. This peace is not a peace that comes from inside of you. It is a foreign peace. It is purchased by the blood of Christ. It is predicated on the peace of God, which Christ himself purchased by his own suffering, death, burial, and resurrection. I cannot offer God's peace to anyone who will not first receive the peace of God provided for by exercising faith in Christ. God created this world and man has sinned against him. And we are forever separated from God. Because of that, our sin is, is revealed from our hearts. And all we have to do is look at history and look at the newspaper. You know there is something wrong with man. But God did not leave man alone. He gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. And if you would but just trust in him and in him alone of his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. If you would trust in him, you will be saved. And when you are saved, you are, called, you are reconciled with God. This reconciliation means you are no longer at war with Him. The wrath of God that you deserve for your sins in thoughts, actions, and deeds, the wrath of God that you deserve has been poured on Christ. And now, as Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have listened to these words, brothers and sisters. Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, the peace that settles your mind 
is a peace that is first predicated on the blood of Jesus Christ that has taken care of your greatest problem. Your greatest problem, brothers and sisters, is not the trial that you're going through. Your greatest problem is whether or not you're forgiven in Christ. And if you are a Christian, you are. And if that's true, if it has been truly met out on Christ, and if you are believing in Him, you really have no worries. Is that true? One of my daughters was worried that she didn't get an A in her class. Now, to us, we would kind of smile and smirk. What kind of a trial is that? Right? Now, I could have brushed it off as something little. Suck it up. Tighten your bootstraps. You can do it. Or it can be in a gospel opportunity as I preach. Right? And so... Her preoccupation with a perfect score, as I talked to her, I asked her, you got a 98, okay? Will you lose your salvation? No. Is Christ still king? Yes. Is he still your savior? Has all your sins been forgiven? What can man do to me? Oh, brothers and sisters, let's get back there again. Remember when you're first saved? The joy of your salvation. The sweetness of knowing Christ. You didn't care if your friends left you when you came to Christ. You didn't care about any other, all, all those other things. It's you are now right with God. Let me remind you. Let the word of God remind you right now. If you are in Christ, you are right with Him. Amen? Now what is wonderful is that this peace of God surpasses all comprehension. Notice. What's that mean? It means it goes beyond human wisdom. It goes beyond insight. It goes beyond understanding it goes beyond human planning, human solutions to problems. It, it cannot be explained in other words other than the work of God. Your Lord says this, and He freely offers it to us. He freely offers it. He says, peace I leave with you. Listen to His words. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. It is a peace that the world can't understand. And if you've walked with Christ even a few years, you know this to be true. If you have been in the fire, you know it, this to be true. My brother and I had to make, in 2006, my brother and I had to make the difficult decision of removing life support from mom. 
but she was in a persistent vegetative state. I remember just praying intensely all the time, thanking God for a wonderful mom. My mom went to church for 20 years, never came to Christ until the end. We prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She didn't get saved until the last month that she was alive. But man, that filled us with joy and hope. Well, mom went into glory. And afterwards, I went to the funeral director and as I went there and I made the decisions what kind of coffin it's not a fun thing to do what kind of plot what kind of tombstone that's it's amazing we work so hard for our jobs here and our careers here that's where you go it's amazing isn't it no one even remembers this is why it's so crucial we give ourselves to Christ. And the funeral director looked at me and he said, you seem to have a sense of peace. And I told, I told him straight off without, without batting my eyes, I said, I miss mom, but I know she's with Christ. This funeral director happened to be a Christian and he said, he sees people who lose loved ones all the time. And he says that Christians have a distinct peace that he could see all the time. Is that amazing? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, even when you lose your loved ones, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, many of you have experienced this. It is an unbelievable calmness and power that is not sourced in you. It is the wonderful experience of walking closely with Jesus and telling others of the power that Christ is giving you while you are hurting. Is that true? Now, this peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We know the term shall guard. It means to, to garrison, to patrol around. It's like Roman troops. Um, it... During that time, they had Roman troops in the city of Philippi, and so they knew exactly what this was. There were Roman troops in the city to protect the state's control and interests. So as you watch your heart diligently, as you commune with God constantly, and as you rest in Christ completely, in His peace, your mind and your heart is going to be protected. God says, my peace is going to protect you, guard you, keep you whole, keep you sane through the fire. The heart and mind are internal, non-material components of man. He doesn't even say, I'm going to change the situation. Did you notice? He says, I will guard your heart and mind while you go through it. When I was a young Christian, they used to say, and I think it's true. He may not take the trial away, but he'll always take you, what, through. Right? Is that true? It absolutely is. The change that occurs is on the inside. Remember he says, therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed 
day by day. Ephesians 3 says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. He changes and he protects your hearts and your minds. We have a dear brother, um, dear brother in our church. He is 83 years old and he came to plant the church with us. His name is Uncle Jose. And Uncle Jose was a street preacher in Vallejo and he is a street preacher here. But Uncle Jose, just, we just found out now that he is, he is f- fighting stage four cancer. And I remember when we put him, uh, when um, the Enriquez's had to transfer him to a care home to take care of the more severe care that he needs, he was a little bit discouraged. But then as he got there, he started to see all the people he could share with. And he had a renewed vigor to share the gospel. You guys could pray for Andre. He's going to preach there tomorrow. He wants tracts. He wants Bibles to pass out. He could barely speak because he has lung cancer. You understand? He can't speak. God is guarding his heart and his mind, though the outer man is decaying. Do you understand that? You can go through the fire, brother and sister, in Christ. Now here, it's in Christ Jesus. Peace does not come abstractly. It's not some idea that now helps you. It's not some positive thinking that Tony Robbins might sell you in an infomercial. It's not the new age idea that the power lies within you as Disney might sell you. Peace comes with the very presence of Christ himself. It is not some level you attain because you completed a class. What I'm trying to say, brothers and sisters, it is not a principle. It is not just an idea. It's not a list of things. It is the person of Christ himself who will be with you. It is a promise to Moses when Moses said to the Lord, See, thou, hast, thou dost say to me, Bring up this people, but thou dost thyself hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moreover, thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. And then what did God say? He said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. It is a promise to Israel. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. It is the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ, which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar professed. He answered, look, I see four men loosed and walked about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. It is a promise to all his disciples when he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you. I am with you to the end of the age. It is a promise to all his sheep when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. It is a promise to strengthen you 
In 1 Peter, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It is the promise to be with you. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. His name is Emmanuel, isn't it? Isn't it? Watch your heart diligently. Refuse to succumb and to be paralyzed by fear, worry, and anxiety. Your greatest problem has been solved. If you are in Christ, your sin has been paid and you will be with him forever. Commune with God constantly. Whenever there's a slight tinge of anxiety, go to him in prayer and acknowledge his decrees for your life are wise, sovereign, and good. Thank him. Rest in Christ completely. Allow Christ to strengthen and empower you to have a tranquil mind, tranquil mind rooted in your right relationship with him. And walk in peace, brother and sister. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you know what your sheep need to hear. Lord, let us be a people with praise and thanksgiving on our lips. Thank you that we have your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to sing even this last song. Thank you that you sent your son to die for our sins. But you have not left us even in this world by ourselves. You said you would go with us. Thank you, Jesus, by your spirit of giving us not just principles, but you gave us yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.